right, guys. Welcome back to Driving Life. This week, I am in the house. We're in studio. Yeah. Again, finally. Yeah. Donovan, how you doing, man? I'm good. You know, it's just the way it works out, right? I mean, it is what it is. We roll with it, and it doesn't matter. On the phone, in face-to-face. No, we're making it work this week, though. Yeah, yeah it's good. It's yeah. just what happens when you're busy, and, you know, there's a lot There's a lot going on. I'm okay with that. We have been, yeah. The last couple of weeks have been, you know, pretty busy far as moving around just moving parts and and stuff so it's good to be back in the same room with you and um and we have our first you know it's one of these things where i said i wasn't going to do this right off the bat yeah. and i got a this is our first racer but this <laughs> guy's um he's a pretty special dude yeah for sure no this was I, I i don't know god i think i say it every week this is a great conversation but it is a little bit different direction yeah. for us because it is a a driver but there's so much more to it than that. There's, you know, I mean, that's that's a part of the conversation, but it is not the conversation. Yeah. So it was it was really good. Yeah. So I was, um, we kind of broke our mold a little bit, but we went down and got uh, Sergeant Liam Dwyer and uh, did racing imps at one time for Mazda Motorsports, but also um, was in the Marine Corps and you know, risked his life for, for yeah. our country. And now he's, he's getting rewarded some pretty cool things. And, uh, you know, that's, that's neat to see. Yeah. We, we talked about that in the episode, what he just received here in the <laughs> last couple of weeks that took a five-year plan and, yeah and stuff. And so I was, I'm excited to have him on. I mean, I, I get to see him every once in a while because he's not racing full-time right now. And uh, we got to see him in Daytona this past January. So just, just some neat stuff. Well, and that's, them. you know, one of those where I'm, I can't wait. To, I, I want to go back racing anyway, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I definitely want to go hang with him. And like he says there at the end, there was just drink a beer and just talk about cars. Yeah. So uh, guys, enjoy Liam. It, it, uh, it's pretty funny what happens to his first kind of track car, what his dad does with it, why he's not <laughs> in the States. So uh, listen to that. Enjoy him. Hope you guys have a great week. Uh, listen at the end of the podcast of Liam. We'll do kind of a quick uh, recap of the racing over the weekend. Uh, obviously, NASCAR was at Daytona. Imps is coming up at VIR uh, this weekend. So a lot of stuff going on. Uh, send us an email, connect at drivinglife.com. Connect with us, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere. Um, so enjoy Liam. Take care of each other. Love each other. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Great episode coming up here, um, and we happen to be looking at each other. Yeah, we're, we're, in, we're in the same we're in, room. I, I really wanted to get this guy in the same room, um, but obviously, I'm not racing this year, and I don't think he's racing this year. So we weren't really going to cross paths unless I just went to his house. But we have uh, Mr. Liam Dwyer on today. Liam, how you doing? Good guys, how you doing? Thanks for having me. We are so excited to to have you on, and obviously. Before we kind of get into kind of the meat of the podcast, you've got some special news that just happened here, I mean, really in the last two weeks, but kind of give us the process because it's probably been going, it's been in the works for, for longer than that. Yeah, so uh, not this past Saturday, the Saturday prior, uh, my wife Meg and I received keys to a mortgage-free, fully handicapped, accessible home here in Lake Worth, Florida, and it is thanks to a charity called Homes for Our Troops. They're based out of Massachusetts, and we applied for them 
uh, over five years ago now. And we finally got our house donated to us, like I said, about a week and a half or so ago. So we're in the process of moving in right now. So being on this phone call with you is kind of breaking up my day night. <laughs> boy, timing's everything, isn't it? We get you right in the middle of moving and, you know, not that there's any, you know, hassle or stress that goes with that. Listen, you guys got me out of it for about an hour or so. So I'll try to make this phone call go even longer to avoid any <laughs> more responsibilities I might have. We can help you out with that. That's not a problem. <laughs> So again, thanks guys for having me on here. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it's our our pleasure. You know, Owen was sent me the video, which, um, you know, watching that, I was like, God, that's that's really cool. And I want to hear, like, like you said, it's a five year process. So I'm really interested, how, like, how what are the timelines for that? How does that work out? So the timelines vary per individual per wound war. So first off. The way it used to be five years ago is you had to be 100% service-connectedly disabled from the service. And I think at that time, it was only combat wounded. So they weren't taking guys that had, you know, cancer, heart disease, right. um, whatever accidents, like whether it's in training or car accident. So it's really only guys that were catastrophically wounded overseas. And there's a bunch of organizations out here that do this. Some are better than the others. So we filled out an application five years ago. Actually, my wife, now wife, Megan, filled it out. And at the time, she was only my girlfriend. There was no, you know, aspirations or guarantees that would be getting married. So she filled up this application. And not exaggerating, it was probably every bit of a dozen pages long. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, you know, they want all your information for obvious reasons. They want letters of recommendation from your former commanding officers, people that you board before um, surgeries that you've gone through, you know, because they got to make sure that they're doing everything right. Cause you have people donating, donating millions and millions of dollars right. each year for this organization. I mean, if they do, you know, just say a ballpark of 10 homes a year, each home is worth on average over half a million dollars. So, I mean, that's $5 million is just needed for building the home, never mind. Uh, purchasing land, the permitting, the paying the people that work for the charity. You know, a lot of them are working for near nothing, so it's really all a volunteer love basis on their part. But anyways, five years ago, we decided that we're going to come down to Florida. We found a piece of land in this neighborhood that we just kind of stumbled across. It's a very close knit neighborhood, as we've come to find out in the last year or so, with people keeping an eye on our project here. And when we got the keys a week and a half ago during this whole pandemic thing, usually there's this huge party and stuff like that. Well, the charity can't do that now just due to legality. Right. So the neighborhood did something on their own. And we got, honest, we got over 10 miles of gridded road in our neighborhood here. And I would say close to 50% of them were outside with uh, flags waving, welcoming us, saying we got dozens upon dozens of letters and gift cards welcoming us to the neighborhood where we can't finally wait to get our furniture down here where we can settle in and start living our lives again. So just really thank you to Home to Our Troops, to our neighborhood here. And like I said, we look forward to getting out the next step of our life. That is fantastic. And, you know, it, it makes me feel good with everything that's going on right now to hear that kind of 
you know, a story from a community reaching out to, you know, just to bring somebody home. Because there's a lot in the media going on right now, and it's not always the best. And, you know, so this is really, I saw the, you know, Owen sent me the link to the uh, to the news uh, report. And it just was like, oh, this is fantastic. I love to hear this kind of thing, especially right now. Yeah, you know, I'm on the lucky side of things where I get to be, some type of bright light during this time of darkness that we have, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the political stuff, the riots, whatever it may be, you know, seems like every time you turn on the news, regardless of station, whatever it may be, it's always negative. It's negative, negative, negative. It sounds like what you guys are saying, I think we're all in agreement with this, that we just get tired of the negativity. Well, I think the support from your community bears that out as well. That's absolutely huge. Now, it, I think it's very important to mention that we know we don't know anybody that lives in the neighborhood, save for the people that live across the street from us, who we met when Megan and I stumbled upon this land, and they came out, you know, asking, "Hey, what do you guys doing? What do you guys want?" You know, hey, listen, we saw this land for sale by neighbor or by owner. Figured we'd check it out, and so when we told them our story of what we're looking to do with this land. These people, the neighbors across the street, honestly, got from that moment on, they were all in. So we ended up contacting the leader that owned it. Long story short, obviously, we got the land. When we came back here, I don't know, three, four weeks later after we got the land, we came up, we drove down the street, and the for sale sign was still out front. We're like, oh, no. So we drove up to it, and on one side of the sign, it said, uh, future home to American hero. Ooh, and wow. then on the other side of the sign, they had, they had crossed out, you know, what 804 rents or something like that. They crossed it out and wrote what 800 you too late. <laughs> <laughs> and a sense so, of humor. That's a bonus. Yeah. So I think that really set the tone for what type of neighborhood that we're going to be in here. And everyone is, Generally excited for us to be here. They've come over, they've helped out, you know, whether it's be, you know, someone to do landscaping, someone to do trim work, someone to do, excuse me, pressure cleaning up the house or the driveway, whatever it is. So we've had people just reaching out in pretty much any way that they can. Do like you- I said, we can't wait till we could finally just be done with this move, sit down, sleep in our own room here, and mm. walk out to our kitchen and be like, holy crap, this is ours. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you think that that? Was it, did you, do you think that had any impact on the decision to whether or not for you to be accepted into the program, uh, you know, the community? No, it had nothing to do okay. with that. We were already accepted. So when we filled out the application, this organization, they have become to what they call a conference. They bring on about half dozen of us in at a time. They used to happen once a quarter. I think they're now down to where they happen once a year, just on the good side of things, though, there's guys who aren't getting injured overseas, so obviously this side of it is slowing down. But they used to bring you in where they got to meet you, but you got to meet them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, it's the charity giving, 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 and the which the charity gives, it's over, right? Well, this charity, they stay with you to make sure that you're doing what you need to be doing, offering assistance where they can. You know, some guys... But they don't have a financial peace of mind, they'll still get into some some of financial debt and they'll offer them counseling with that. Right. So they're really with you. So 
what they're doing with this conference when they hold it is they're having us meet them to be like, hey, listen, is this someone, a group that we're going to want to be pretty much lifelong partners with? And if not, then we just say, hey, appreciate your time, and we go our separate ways. So after this conference, they told us that we had been accepted to the program, and we're like, okay, you know what? This is great. We're going to get our home for us. We're just pretty great. And we're hoping to be in a home in about 18 months. So this conference ended up being May of 2016. We were hoping that we'd be in the house early 2018, and it never happened. So in the limbo, we were either A, staying with my wife's parents, or unfortunately, a lot of it, we were staying back up at Walt Reed for a lot of my surgery. So when this house finally got donated to us a week and a half ago, we had been waiting for five years for it. So it was kind of like, thank the Lord, we finally get our place. And it's beautiful. We, like I said, we can't wait to be living here. It's absolutely gorgeous. Now the video looks really, really cool. And I, I look forward to, because uh, you're in the Lakeland area, correct now? Correct. We're in Lakeland, Florida. Correct. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll have to stop in and see you when we, you know, hit back south, hopefully in January for Daytona and check it yeah, out. About, about two, two and a half, three hours south of Daytona. Okay. And I think we're about two hours just under that from Sebring. So if racing can get started up on a normal schedule next year, then yeah, we could be doing some visiting down here at the house. Yeah. That's, that's a, you're in a pretty good spot there. Yeah. <laughs> three hours from one and two hours from the other. That's a, that works out pretty well. And we're like an hour and a half, two hours from Homestead. Nice. Right. Yeah. You got, got a bunch of tracks around there. Yeah. We got some decent ones. You know, I, DC I thought was better. We had Summit Point, Watkins Glen, VAR, New Jersey Motorsports, B Runnels right around the corner. Um, we had a lot of tracks that a lot of really good tracks that were right around the corner. But I think there was more history with obviously Sebring and Daytona down here. Right. And, and talk about that. You were kind of up in the DC area and I know we, we were kind of staying in contact and I know you were with, you know, my teammate Hugh Plum, that you had some surgeries that just went on here recently and, and everything, I guess, to my knowledge, went, went fairly well with all that stuff. Yeah, my most recent surgery was May 26th. It's the Tuesday right after Memorial Day. I Earlier in the year, um, I actually came down with kidney stones of all things. It required two <laughs> surgeries. For, yeah, they, they were fun. It wasn't my first time going through this either. And so we ended up having surgery to get them removed. Well, it did, it did a number like on my abdominal area. And I went to sit down in my recliner at my house. My dad was with us to help my wife out. We have to have knee surgery herself. And I sat down and just heard this tearing, cracking in my right knee. And my, my dad literally goes, what was that? And I said, that was my knee. I think I just lost my leg. And you could see color drain from paper. What this stems back to is... A year prior, I had slipped getting out of my car, and I had wrecked my knee. Now, oh, and I'll backtrack even further. The awards banquet uh, 2017 at the Chateau there, remember I got brought up on stage for that booklet? Yeah. So I gave a speech there about a surgery surgeries that I was going to be going in for. And I was supposed to have one surgery and be up here or be up in D.C. for six months. And it ended up being, I think we're at 
12 surgeries in three years. Wow. Yeah. So that, that was the last race. I think you, I mean, we're going to get into your race stuff, but was that the last race that you ran was that weekend? Correct. Or. Yeah, that was my last yeah. IMSA race. I've done two races since then, but it's really, I did one over the UK and I did a, uh, a 24 hour at VIR, one of the chump car races. Yeah. So when I went up to DC it shortly after that, it was to get my knee and my left leg done at the same time. Well, that got changed in my right leg surgery. We ended up having an issue with my right arm, right? Almost had that amputated. And then the right leg, when they did that surgery, that was a, a 14 or 15 hour surgery. And it was a huge reconstruction of my right knee. So I finally gotten going with that at like the end of eight, in, end of 18. 2019, I slipped getting out of my car and my right knee went into my chest and my right heel went into my butt. And I just felt everything snap on the top of my knee. And I go in to see my doctor. We go into the emergency room. They x-ray me. I think I'm fine. And uh, the ER doc comes in. The ER orthopedic guy comes in. And he's someone that I've known for a while. He's a resident. He's like, oh, Monday, what's going on? He comes in with this knee brace. He goes, hey, Liam, how you doing? I was like, ah, oh, man, see that knee brace? That sucks for somebody. He goes, yeah, this is for you. <laughs> what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, you know, we got to we got splint your knee up. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going home. He goes, no, man, we're admitting you. You're having surgery in about six hours or so. Wow. So what the hell are you talking about? He goes, you destroyed your knee. So my actual doctor comes in about four hours later and he goes, we're not doing surgery today. We got to talk about amputation. Oh. And my heart just sunk. I'm like, oh my God, he's not screwing around with me. Anyways, they end up saving the leg. So when I wrecked it earlier this year, I, I we we're going to amputate. They end up saving. My father sat there about in tears as he just heard my knee tear. And now he's realizing the reality of everything that goes on here where it's normal day-to-day -day life could really tear my body apart and it's not you know going out skydiving or, right or, or wrestling with sharks you know 300 <laughs> feet down the water here it's, you know you just go sit down and recline and your leg about falls off so so that's where we get at now with me. the leg's doing good i'm up walking around every day the left leg's doing great and you know get to look forward to a uh, a life now that's not medical been nine years since date of uh, date of injury and we got one more surgery that will happen beginning of next year and fingers crossed that'll be, be will be the long one for a uh, long one for a while well we'll we'll uh we'll keep our fingers crossed for you of course but let's um God, I said, how do you follow that up? You know what I mean. <laughs> if, let's go back. Yeah, sorry about that. No, 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 no. That's awesome. I, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're good with, you know, telling the story and sharing that with everybody. It, it's just, but you know, I want to know, we, because we always talk about, you know, we're, we're all car centric and in, you know, either race cars or just enthusiasts, whatever. In, obviously, you, you'd been racing for a while, and I want to get to that point, but we want to go back just a little bit further and like, where did, where did the passion come from? Where did, whether it was automotive, whatever it was, like, how did that start in your youth where you thought, hmm, this is something that I might want to do? 
I've always had a passion for cars. My, I grew up in Connecticut. Lime Rock was about an hour from where I lived. And my father, I was about three years old. And my father had bought a 1983 Supra, which was like a hot car at the time. Oh, yeah. My brother-in-law had one. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say it had like 102 horsepower back then. Which was crazy fast. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, we were out one day for a drive. I was in the car seat. And they kind of had an idea where Lime Rock was. This is back before the days of iPhones and Google Maps and stuff. Okay. So we just <laughs> he knew find. where he was. <laughs> He found it, and he looks down there, you know, there's cars going around the track. So he's like, wow. So he drives down there. There's a bunch of street cars that are there. And he's like, what the heck's going on? Well, there was another guy there that had a Supra. So my father my father kind of found this guy. But as my dad's driving through the paddock, I perk up in my chair, and I'm looking around like my eyes just get huge. And he looks back and goes, oh, shit. Liam's going to like cars. <laughs> <laughs> And I've actually had more of a passion for my cars than my father has. I've been around cars ever since I can imagine, whether and always doing something mechanical, whether it's working on my bike or working on my big wheel, pulling apart power wheels and trying to make them faster, <laughs> whatever it may be. And everything I've done, excuse me, when it's come to two wheels three wheels four wheels i've always tried to go as fast as i can to be as reckless as possible with it and it's <laughs> kind of it's kind of led me to you know during the military and going up being i don't want to say reckless but not you know mining going off and doing some of the fun stuff that i got to do but yeah i've had the passion for cars since i was really little and i took automotives in high school to learn more about engines and suspension and stuff like that so the drive and the passion has always been there and I've had to do a lot of it on my own, learn on my own, because my father really wasn't the one. He didn't have that huge passion like I had, nor did he have the uh, really capability or the knowledge to really teach me about working on a car. So it's been self-taught, just purely due to love and want to be around it. Yeah, that's, I mean... Of course, that's a you know a pretty common thread. It's just it's always interesting to hear like where it starts and how it starts. And typically, everybody knows like almost exactly like okay, I remember you know where it happened, what happened, what those circumstances were surrounding that. So, um, what was your first car? Are we talking legally or just <laughs> no, whatever? <laughs> yeah, just tell us what it was. Yeah. <laughs> So my first car was kind of a joint ownership with my father. It was an 87 Mustang GT. And I started driving when I was about five or six on my dad's lap. Yep. Um, by about seven or eight, I kind of had a feel for how to drive uh, with three pedals. Granted, I couldn't reach them, but I, I had an idea as to how to do it. And I started driving stick when I was 13, maybe. And 13 or 14, and it was learning on the Mustang. My father went over to this uh, fairly large parking lot, and the clutches back in the late 80s were kind of extremely heavy with zero feel in them. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So my father, you know, taught me the parking lot there and then really tried to teach me about finesse. And that was, once I got good with it, it was having me start in a gravel parking lot going uphill without spinning the tires and it taught me from there 
and started driving that car. My father started doing track days with the car as I was working on it. And then I did my first uh, track day actually driving. I want to say it was like two weeks after I turned 18. And it was a time trial. And my father basically said, you know, listen, if, if you beat my times that, you know, my best times that I've done, you know, then the car will basically become yours. It's like, all right. So we go out and do this time trial. And my father's been doing it now for three or four years. And my very first lap, I'm already faster than him. <laughs> Hand me the keys. Yeah. Mine. Mine. That's some so, incentive right there. Yeah. So pretty much, you know, we went to a joint ownership after that. And then the asshole sewed it out from underneath me when I was in Okinawa, Japan <laughs> in 2002. And I'm, I'm going to drop an F-bomb here. So if you guys want to get ready for that, <laughs> yeah. I was fucking pissed. <laughs> and, you know, I've actually tracked the car down. I know where the car is at. I just can't find the owner because I'm trying to buy it back so I can get the car that I learned how to drive on back in my possession. I think that'd be kind of really something cool to have. That would be. I mean, it kind of give me some insight on how you actually kind of know where it is. I mean, what did you do to... So I know who my father sold it to as a family friend. Okay. And he ended up selling the car to a friend of his. And so I found out about this, I'm going to say back in like, oh... Oh, God, like, oh, six. So I found, I was speaking with that guy, and we were, I wasn't in the mood, or my father wasn't in the mood, um, or want to buy the car back. It was just kind of like the car that we had grown up with. And then it was probably about four years ago, I started getting the urge, and I tracked that guy down again, and he had told me he had sold it to this other guy, and he gave me his phone number. So I reached out to that guy, and... So we were chatting for a while and then decided I wasn't going to go through with it. It was probably about, I would say probably about six weeks ago, or I'm sorry, about six months ago. I was like, all right, you know what? I really want to purchase the car now. So I tracked the guy down again. He goes, listen, I sold it to this other guy through this Facebook uh, marketplace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Marketplace. <laughs> but it, it was a few years ago. So I don't know the guy's name and I, I can't find the conversation, but I know it was through this forum. So I posted in there probably about six weeks ago, and no one's gotten the contact with me. So I'm about to post on it again so I could see if the guy will answer one of the posts I put up there. But I know the car is registered in Massachusetts, and I guess it's one of the, I hate to say the word vintage, but the older Mustang clubs. <laughs> I, I hate to say that word for <laughs> an antique vintage car. Well, yeah. it, you know, I was having a conversation. It was totally not related to to cars, but we were talking about Madonna of all people, and I'm <laughs> like, "How irrelevant is Madonna? She hasn't been relevant since the 1900s." And it just struck me that that is such a hilarious statement, right? Because we grew up. Yeah, I mean, hell, kids that were born in the 2000s are now 20 years old, and they don't know what the 1900s even were. So, uh, yeah, so you do have a vintage automobile. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. You know, it's funny you say 1900s. I, I prefer to say 1990s, so I don't feel so bad. But <laughs> yeah. I guess 1900s are correct as well. Yeah, it just when you say it like that, it's it's you know, it's like when we would talk about the uh, I guess the 1800s. You know, it just seems like forever ago. And but yeah, 19. What did you say it was? 1987. 
It was an 87 Mustang GT, correct. Yeah, I had a. I went to high school with a kid that, um, when he turned 16, got a 1983 GT, which was, I think it was the first year they came out with a 5-liter, the HO, and, yeah. it, and it had a stick. And that's what I always loved about Mustangs in that era. You know, Chevrolet really didn't do much with a with a manual, um, you know, in their IROX. And you could get them, but they weren't very good. Um, and I think Mustang kind of led the way with a five speed, with a five speed, you know, having a stick in their high performance cars across the line. So yeah, I give, uh, I give Ford a lot of credit for that back in the day. You know, th- there was a lot to be said of that. Cause you think about where cars are at nowadays. And they, you could probably count on two hands, the number of cars that you could buy with the stick nowadays, because oh, yeah. pretty much all yeah. high performance cars really come with automatics or you know, dual clutch transmissions or mm-hmm. PDKs because they've just gotten that good now. Yeah, so there's, yeah, it's there's really bad to see those cars go away. There's something to be said about the feel for three pedals and being able to properly heel toe and, you know, do those um, things that we hold so dear as, you know, being a race car driver. So those things, those skills that, you know, everyday street drivers, even people that club their cars, you know, have difficulty doing it. You guys could go out there and do it every lap, no matter what corner it is or what car it is. There's a skill with that, that modern day racing drivers probably are going to know, I would say from here on out. No, I mean, totally. And really actually that was your last race in 17, you know, in IMSA, but that was kind of the end of the era for the SD class because that was really the last pro class that you actually had to heel toe yeah because um gs had gone gt4 at that point yeah. and it was all panel shifted right yeah so it was kind of like the last art you know in pro racing because everything now is paddle shift my kids ask now my oldest because i mean obviously they're into cars and they're like dad does this have paddle shift i mean it's like they don't even understand <laughs> oh, yeah. what a stick is and like so they're like yeah you know liam you said something about you you could count the number of cars that are available with a stick i bought a volkswagen jetta specifically because it was one of the very few cars I could find a daily driver that had a stick in it. And he's got rally wheels on it too. Yeah, I made, I put some wheels on it so that anybody that was a car guy would question me about him. <laughs> can know what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I figured if somebody says, dude, I like those wheels, it reminds me of the old Group B rally cars. I'm like, yep, that's a car guy. Yeah. <laughs> I can talk to him. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of sad to see that happen. There was something to be said about, you know, driving a stick. It gives, it gives you this raw intimate feel of being with your your car versus now where you just kind of put it in drive and go you lose that the, if you want to call it intimacy that, that you have your with your car and i think that's just going away now yeah and i you know i agree with that and i think porsche we you know because for a while there they were going to do away with the stick altogether and they went pdk and then they came out with a 911r specifically because clients were saying listen for track time, yeah, PDK, you're never going to beat it with a stick, right? You just can't shift. You can't do it. But I don't track my car 97% of the time. 97% of the time it's out on the road, and I still like the engagement with a clutch pedal. Yeah, you know, I think they did that with the um, – correct me if I'm wrong. It was basically a GT3 or most of it, but they threw a stick in it without the wing or without like the yeah yeah or, or something like that. You know, like I said, for that reason of we want to still have some engagement with our car. We don't care that it's not as fast as the 
PDK. Right. We just want to have that engagement with it. Plus, nowadays, it's also good theft deterrent. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the best yeah, alarm completely. ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep, yep. Keep moving, boys. This one's got a stick. Nobody, none of the thieves these days know how to drive them. <laughs> They'll burn the clutch out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got the, the Mustang was the the first track car, and yep. and it got sold when you didn't know it. And then, I mean, what was next then after after yeah, you got I mean, home and you the, and you were furious. <laughs> right, yeah. so, when, when my dad told me this, I was in Japan, and I was actually in my dream car at, in Japan when I was driving. So despite my dad selling the car in America, I was still pissed about that, even though I was driving <laughs> my dream car in Japan. I, I was driving a, a third-gen RX-7 over in Japan, and I absolutely oh, nice. loved it. Yeah. Oh, my God. I wish I, I'd been searching for one for about the last year and a half to find one at a at a good price point where I could get it. And it always seems like something has come up in my in my life where I'm like, you know what, now's not the time to pull the trigger. Well, trying to find a stock one now is near impossible. I, super. I kick myself in the ass saying, oh my God, I should have bought that one a year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. super hard to find. So there's a uh, one of our agents that works here in the brokerage. His um, in-laws, I think, uh, you know, mother and father, they have matching RX-7s uh, from that era. And they're just one of them's completely stock, and the other one's just model, some suspension work, and you know whatnot. Um, but yeah, really, really tough to find. And then you're going to pay for it when you do find it. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do much to it. I think I'll probably do some cooling upgrades, since those cars tend to run hot. But I probably the biggest thing I would do with it is I would reach out to some of my Mazda contacts and see if they have over in Japan any parts in the Mazda warehouse to make it a the second Mazda Spirit R here in the United States. That would be like the dream. That'd be cool. So the only one that's in existence is over at the Mazda R&D garage in Irvine, California. And the car probably gets driven less than 100 miles a year. It sits on the basement with some of the other Mazda Relic road cars. Actually, out in... Uh, they do the huge vintage race out in Monterey each year. Yeah, yeah, the historics, yeah, yeah. which is supposed to be this past weekend, but obviously with COVID, it didn't yeah. Happen. So the Mazda cars that go out there all come from this garage, and there's a guy that works on the cars out there. His name is Randy, and he's pretty much the only person that works on these cars. So he's phenomenal taking apart these rotaries and putting them back together and also being in tune with the different types of race cars. I mean, he's worked on race cars from the original RX-7 from what, like 79 or 80 up until I want to say late nineties, early two thousands Mazda race cars. I want to say they have an RX-8 race car in there as well. But don't quote yeah. me in that. I think they do. Yeah, they, yeah, they do. Yeah. So we got the one guy that does that. But anyways, point being is that hopefully I could do some of my contacts and maybe get some parts, you know, overnighted from japan and get my my spirit arm made if that's still a possibility oh that'd be interesting to see what happens you have to keep us posted on that one if something happens i'll absolutely be keeping people posted that might be one of the big things i come out with you know like a year or so if i'm able to do it just do one of those uh like facebook mass posts or whatever it is that you want to call them so you're driving your dream car i mean and doing some track day stuff and I, I guess the racing. When did that finally kind of catch 
fire and you start going after, you know, wheel to wheel. Yeah, because there's a lot of there's a lot of guys that will do track days but never get behind the wheel yeah, of a race yeah. car. Right. So when I came back from Japan, I bought a uh, Mitsubishi Evo, and I really started hardcore autocrossing with it. Started drag racing. Realized how boring that was. <laughs> right. <laughs> started uh, then started autocrossing and just fell in love with it. And I just had a natural talent of being good i want to say the very first autocross i went to but basically basically stock evo um i took ftd like right off the gate and i'm like oh you know you got ftd i'm like what the hell is that that's <laughs> <laughs> how little i knew about it I'm like oh you know you're, you're the fastest car here today oh cool great all right like no, like it's, it's a big deal oh yeah all right great i did it it's autocrossing yeah. come on man <laughs> so so I did autocross for a while, and then I started doing track days. I didn't start doing track days uh, a lot until I came back to my rack. And at that point, I started doing track days. I sold my Evo, and I got a, a 350Z that I basically just kept stock. Just went to Lime Rock, New Jersey Motorsports, and uh, uh, one of the track I'd hit up in the Northeast. I can't think off the top of my head, but anyways, I ended up loved doing it. And I loved going to these other tracks on my Z and running with Porsche 911s and Corvette Z06s and stuff like that. And here I am in, you know, 300 horsepower to keep it up with them. I was like, ah, you know, this is a lot of fun. I didn't start racing, honestly, until after I got entered in Afghanistan. And I started vintage racing, and then I turned my Z into a, uh, a Spec 350Z car, raced in NASA, and I did that for two years. And I went to the Rolex in 2012, met Derek Whitus, who was the owner of Freedom. He watched me race in 2012, 2013. End of 13, he calls me up saying he wants me to come test. So he gives me a, uh, a spec Miata, which I never driven before. And they sent me to Sebring, a track I'd never been to before. And Tom Long is my coach. They say, okay, you know what? Go out and do some test sessions. And then it was one of the uh, PBOC clubs. I think it was PBOC. Yeah, it's PBOC. They run down there a lot. Yeah. And, they, you know, they did a, a four-hour enduro or something like that. Like, all right, you know, we're going to send you out to do this race. I'm like, are you shitting me? Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I've never been to Sebring. You guys want me to go out and race this thing? Anyway, so I ended up coming second in my class. And <laughs> Tom was happy with that. I got a call from Derek a few weeks later. Then uh, Derek told me that uh, this guy, John Dunitz, could be calling me. So John called me up and said, hey, listen, you know, I heard about your test. Was great meeting at Lime Rock a few years ago. Want to give you an opportunity to run in one of our cars in the ST series. Tom will be your co-driver. You know, you do Laguna and you do Lime Rock. Those are all right, cool. And oh, and I, I'm not sure if you remember, but uh, do you know how my first race turned out at Freedom in the Miata at Laguna in 2014? Um, I'm trying to remember now what happened. So. I'm not sure if it happened with, the, with like the um, the Mercedes GT car that you drove or the Ultima or the cars you drove before that, but the MX-5 suffered big time from pad knock from pad knockback, and 
I was unfamiliar with that. So when I went to get on the brakes going into turn two there, I had absolutely nothing. And so I came off the brakes and went back down to it, and the pedal had a shorter travel. And I, my foot slipped off the brake pedal. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to go off into the dirt, try to split between these two cars that are in front of me here. And I ended up smashing into the car that was two or three spots ahead of me. And um, I twisted the fr- I twist the frame, broke the rear subframe, and broke the rear dick. That's how hard the hit was. Oh, gosh, wow. that was big, yeah. yeah. And for our listeners out there, because what happens with the knockback is, you know, you run over the curbs, and then the pads just need to be reset, you know, um, you know, with the pistons and stuff. So it's just a little tap on the brake down the straightaway, you know, fixes that problem. And uh, Right. When and that, ha- when, yeah, when that, that happens. Yeah, you do it. Yeah, right. well, that's true. Yeah, so that's. Because kind of explained to everybody when you were driving that, because we were talking about heel toe, that your left leg was basically attached to the to the clutch. clutch. I, I'm not sure how they. I mean, I saw it, you know, in in car cameras, but I just can't remember Liam how they had it in there. So my my leg was actually attached to the clutch, but in our racing, as you know, own we have to do a driver change. That yeah. was okay. No. How do we put this together? How do we get it so it's safe, but I can get out of the car quickly? Because all my racing before that, we either A, zip-tied my foot to the clutch, or B, I had a bracket made where the bracket actually bolted to the clutch, and it was um, basically a bucket that my foot sat in, and a Velcro strap went over the, the bridge of the foot to hold my foot out of the clutch. And so we're trying to figure out a way to get me to attach the clutch, keep it safe, but then pop out. So what we end up doing is we end up welding a shaft onto the clutch pedal on the left side of the clutch pedal with the hole at the end of it. And I had a special leg made where the end of the leg was a hind joint. And along the leg, we ran a steel cable with the cotter pin at the end of it. So that, that hind joint would slide over the shaft and that cotter pin would go through that hole holding my holding my leg onto the clutch, which allowed me to crush the clutch and being the high joint with the shaft, it really allowed me to get that clutch swing going on. And with the high joint being able to basically move in three dimensions, it allowed my leg to move with the G forces of the car without putting strain on the clutch, probably you no know, twisting or whatever. So what we would do during a driver change is that steel cable had a handle on it. I would pull that, which would pull that counter pin out of the hole, I'd take my right leg and I'd kick my left leg off the clutch, and I would, you know, drive to pit lane, and I'd undo the belt so I'd get yanked out of a car. And I do like to say say uh, this, Owen. I, what is your fastest driver change that you've ever done in your racing that, that with the cars here? I think we were. I mean, if you can get under sub twenty five seconds, I think is where we were. You know, we well, had. We had two stops that were sub 20. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's really good. So it was, um, it was a lot of practice, obviously, to go through it. But when we first started trying to figure out how to do this and put all the pieces together, everyone's just moving fast to try to get it done. I had to tell everybody just, just to stop. And I'm, I broke everything down, what I like to call Barney Stouts, what we call it in the military, is you literally go through it step by step by step of okay you know step one this step two that and just go through it step by step because 
when we were doing um, practice and shooting, magazine reload, stuff like that, you break it down step by step in order to get smooth a bit because slow equals smooth, smooth equals fast, therefore slow equals fast, right? Yeah, just like, so, just like driving. Exactly. So when you try doing everything fast, you end up rushing and skipping steps or not doing things completely. Mm -hmm. So once we got it really broken down and we knew how all the, the gears were going to line up together, we're to get do our pit stops exactly as planned each and every time. And as you know, with, with each pit stop, the goal is to get the driver chain done before the fuel or the tires are done, whichever one takes the longest. Because as long as the driver's in the car, they can pretty much be tightening up the belts as we're going down pit lane. So that's, you know, what we end up doing. We were pretty proud of that. But like I said, under, under 25 was really the goal. Yeah, that was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we did it. So anyways, going back to the pad knock, knockback. So with my foot actually attached to the clutch pedal, what most people do is they would just take their left foot over, tap up the brake two or three times as they come into the brake zone. Then they, they move it over onto the clutch. They can operate the clutch as the right foot comes over on the brakes. And then they rotate their, their leg either through their ankle so they could do their heel toe. Well, I couldn't do that. So when I went to get on the brakes at Laguna that, that race, um, my right foot goes on the brakes and my brake pedal pretty much went to the floor. And I got off the brakes, went back on it, and I had somewhat of a pedal, but nowhere near as much. You know, I ended up, you know, trying to go, you know, through the dirt, through the pea gravel to get the car to slope and avoid another car. Unfortunately, I ended up hitting it. So we're trying to figure out a way to fix this. And what we ended up doing is we end up making a bracket with an arm off to the right side of the steering wheel. And the way the bracket would work is it had an arm on it that went down pretty much underneath the dash and it would press on the brake pedal, the top of the brake pedal for me. So as I would come into a brake zone, I would hit that to tap up. So my left leg would stay in the clutch. So now when I would come over to brake, I'd have that firm brake pedal and I could get to do with the heel toe. Now, with my injury, I don't have the ability to rotate my ankle or twist my knee. So all my brake modulation and heel-toe rotation would come from my hip. So it took a while for me to learn how to actually properly modulate the brake as I'm heel-toeing, which took, it took a lot of practice for me to do, especially when there was like a, a light brake pedal, like say going into um, – turn three at VIR or south end at VIR where you're really just scanning the brakes just to set the nose a little bit, yeah. but it's still a downshift. For me, that was always very difficult because I couldn't quite have the finesse on the brakes to do a proper heel toe. So I'd either a over blip it over brake or, or not blip enough and get the rear end, you know, upset. So it took a while to, to get used to that. So once we got that figured out, when we would go back to data, uh, data traces, you would see that I'm actually tapping up right when Andrew is tapping up. And the initial braking point and brake application uh, would be the same where Andrew was. So you can see how much of a confidence boost that was for me to where now I can go one, one and a half markers deeper to where I, I need it to be. So I'm not giving up all this space and braking. Or with a lightweight car like the Miata, that's where 
our lap time would come from would be mm-hmm. the brake zones. So yeah. once we got used to that, we got we got to be pretty quick with the car. Yeah, then then it kind of explain. I mean, <clears throat> I know what happened in the second race. Kind of explain to Dobbin because that was pretty <laughs> special. I mean, I was happy for you for sure. So, yeah. So it was Lime Rock. It was Memorial Day weekend, and it was nearly three years to the day. It was so it was May twenty third. I got injured May twenty second. So it's May twenty third, two thousand fourteen, and because of our result at Laguna Seca, which was the race prior, we ended up starting last. And when the I think it was two and a half hours, two and a half hour races at that point. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, we ended up taking the win, and it was a extremely surreal moment where Lamrock, my home track, mm-hmm. Memorial Day weekend, in nearly three hours of the day, be getting injured in Afghanistan. I'm now partaking my second dream job, first being a Marines, now second race car driving, and to take as my first one there, it was unbelievable i still shake my head at it and you know it led to you know getting the full ride opportunity for 2015 doing that for three years and it was just a an awesome time to be a part of this where you know kind of like bring me out of this realm of my recovery saying okay you know what i i have another opportunity for a different career once my military career was over and it's really what set in motion where i can retire from the military be comfortable with that because I would still, I would still have a job that would be meaningful to me after I got out. So that's how my racing career pretty much started. Yeah. That was a special moment. I remember, I think it was on that Monday or maybe it was sometime earlier in the week that Fox news or ESPN. I mean, it was all over national networks were, were covering that, that you had won that weekend, which was really cool. I, I, I mean, anything that's great, for the sport and obviously for you and everything that you've done for our country that I, I thought it was really cool. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to lie. It, it was pretty cool. I mean, first off winning itself is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But to yeah. do it there, I mean, your home track and then on yeah. that weekend, I mean, that was, that was a, spe- uh, believe me, I know how special it was for you, you know, in that regard, that was, that was really cool. It was, it was pretty awesome when, you know, I didn't realize how, awesome it was for other people because to me it was you know just getting my first win just winning a race oh my god this is awesome well then uh nate siebens i think was in charge of uh pr at the time he whisked me off to the imsa media trailer and i was on the phone with someone from nascar and um i want to stay like senator lieberman um (laughs) yeah and I got a call from NASCAR that night asking me what I'm doing the next day. So our race was Saturday. Yeah. And I was like, um, you know, I'm going to New York City. Why? They're like, listen, NASCAR wants to bring you down to Charlotte for the Coke 600. And, you know, bring you VIP and everything, you know, meet everybody. So I ended up not going because my – I um, was taking Megan to New York City for her birthday. And I had set up this whole weekend for us. So it was, no, I can't go. And they're looking at me like, listen, don't you want to go to the coach? <laughs> yeah, right. What do you mean? To go. <laughs> yeah. But I've already set this up with my wife to go to New York City. And actually, this is how special that weekend was for me. My signing up for the Marine Corps 
back in 2000, I signed up. I originally gave my call to the recruiter the day the USS Cole got attacked over the port in Yemen. And the USS Cole getting attacked was my motivation to join. So when we went to New York City for that weekend for my wife, for the first time since it got attacked, the USS Cole was on American soil. So I got to go on the USS Cole that weekend with my wife. That's how that entire weekend was for me of how awesome it turned out to be. So there was a lot of that weekend that really went the right way for us. And, you know, sticking out with my wife for that weekend, you know, ended up leading to marriage with her and, you know, having this great life for us. So I'm glad I went to New York City, not going out to Charlotte that weekend. Yeah, you can always go to another Coke 600. I don't think you can recreate that weekend. Actually, I went to the 600 back in... um, Oh God, I want to say it was like 15 or 16. Andrew and I went yeah. and we had a good time with it. Tom Long was there with his family. So we got to hang out, you know, the three of us with his family all weekend. It's a pretty cool race to go to if you haven't been to it. I have not been. I've never, I haven't been to Charlotte ever. No, Are you yeah, serious? Yeah. yeah, yeah no. Donovan uh, normally goes to Indy 500. So yeah, He's which tired. I would have gone it's this not. year too, but maybe I need to rethink that. Yeah. There's, um, I didn't realize how big Charlotte was, but also how different it is than um, than Daytona. You know, when you hear about these guys sailing these cars off into turn one there at 190, 195 miles an hour, and it's, you know, like 22-degree banking, and you, you see the difference between the banking at, at Daytona and you realize how fast these guys are going, it really gives you a new appreciation for how good those guys are. And you're really in the hub of NASCAR racing country. So you get all the, uh, the huge diehard NASCAR fans to come out there and it, it's a different environment than doing a sports car race. That's putting it lightly. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only race that kind of comes close to it would be Sebring would be my guess, you know, far as the, the crowd, you know, when we go to Sebring. And actually, that's a, a very good analogy. I actually want to say that I think Sebring is maybe a little bit worse. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty we're crazy. Go to yeah. Talladega. Yeah. yeah, it's probably more like that's Talladega. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the Sebring Circus. So you win that race, and does that lead? I mean, you know, for our listeners out there, John Doonan now is the president of IMSA, and uh, he's moved on from Mazda Motorsports, and and Liam did did. You know, that entailed uh, basically what a three-year program with them. Yeah, that's absolutely what led into it. Excuse me. Um, there was obviously a lot of media, though, that went out with that. And Mazda and Derek recognized that, you know, there's some talent here that needs to be honed in on a little bit, um, kind of tweaked and, you know, to be coached. Which they brought me on with Andrew for the next season. And Andrew and I were like a match made in heaven right out the gate. And we just, our personalities meshed perfectly. He taught me a ton about driving. And honestly, I don't think it was until 2015 where Andrew really came out to the map with the other teams and the drivers there with how good Andrew is until it came uh, to us winning at uh, 
Laguna Seca, which was another uh, pretty big event for us. Yeah. And we ended up contending for the championship that year. And people really started respecting Andrew for how good he is. I can tell you, man, that kid could wheel a freaking car. Holy most. I see some of the stuff that he does with it. And I'm sitting here going, I want no part of that. My job is to <laughs> hand you the car in one piece. Right. You can fall and do that all you want, man, but I'm giving you the freaking car. <laughs> yeah. No, he is. And we're talking about Andrew Carbonell and, and uh, yeah, we used to have some good scraps, you know, when we were racing against each other. And, yeah, he's – I feel like I've seen him kind of grow up because I feel like I've been around this series forever <laughs> it, that I've grown up way older now. And, um, you know, when he first started, I mean, he was just a young kid and, um, to see him sort of fill out and mature as a young man and, and get to race against him. And yeah, he's, he's super fast for sure. And he was definitely, you know, a good pairing for you to be with. He's, he's a really nice kid. I mean, just a really Rising kid. He's just a really nice guy. And his talent behind the wheel is very underappreciated where for whatever reason, none of the other top teams, even like a GTD team have come down and asked him to go test for them. And I, I, I kind of feel sad for him with that because he's so underappreciated. I mean, he could be on a factory ride with, with any team. He's that good. I'll put him up against, any GTLN platinum driver and he'll go toe to toe with them. And as far as racing goes, he, he has never touched someone to move them out of the way. He's, he's always been extremely clean to race with. There's, I mean, I, you can attest to this more than I can being that you've been on track with him going head to head with him. He's not the type where you're worried about him doing something purposely wrong to move you out of the way, or he's going to wreck you. He's going to race you plenty hard. He's going to give you the room, but he's not going to allow you to really have it freely. He's going to race you hard. I I saw that actually a few times with you and him over uh, 2017, where there was a lot of respect given. And I want to say actually it was Laguna. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got to share a podium that day. Yeah. Yeah. You um, There was a late race restart. Um, Pierre got by you and him. You got by Andrew. And then Andrew raced you or you raced him for like two or three laps. And you know, if, if you want to mute this part or uh, bleep it out, you can. But I, I think that you ended up letting him by being like, listen, I'm, I'm just holding this kid up at that point. You're like he's faster than me. He just can't get by me because I just, I'm 12 miles an hour faster <laughs> than him. With a big Nissan, he didn't like the twisty part. So he'd be all over me. And then down the straightaway, I could get back by him and, <laughs> We just kind of we kind of played that uh, yin and yang for, and for for a, for a while, and I mean, I'm not gonna tell you I gave him the spot. No, I, I was <laughs> driving. No, but we we raced clean, and, and maybe you heard about it. this is before you were on board. Andrew and I had a huge crash battling for the lead at Lime Rock in 2011, and I'm not. I mean, you can learn. This is the way I I look at racing. Period, and and I'll stop. You know, I'll quit racing if I change my mind about this. That. Every day you go to the track, you always learn something, no matter what, or each race. And um, we were battling for the lead. I think Andrew was to my left side coming down the front straightaway. And we, you know, and you may have heard about this wreck, Liam, but it's probably on YouTube somewhere. And I was driving the minis at the time, and we basically came together. And I think he went over the top of my car. And, like, it was a huge wreck. But that was us going for the lead. But I think we both gained a lot of respect for each other. 
that day. And um, I think you saw that through, you know, us racing each other, even in, you know, what you saw in 17. We're going to race each other hard and we're going to give you room, but I'm not going to just give you the corner and, you know, give up on it. And that it was always fun, fun racing against them for sure. I think there's, there's a lot to be said and there's a lot of confidence that you could have with racing somebody up. You know where you're going to put the car and you know where he's going to put the car. So yeah. it gives you confidence to go where you're going to go, knowing that this guy is not going to wreck you. And like you said, there's a lot to be said at that. It's, it's a lot of respect earned and it's a lot of respect given. And as soon as someone tries taking that from you, now you're going to race them differently and be like, okay, listen, I know, I know what you're about to do. So I'm going to do what I can either a to defend myself or B I'm not afraid to retaliate with this. And like I said, there's a lot of respect earned, a lot of respect given. He's ultra talented. And I think I know the wreck you're talking about. It happened in the front straightaway, right? Yeah, yeah it did. And that, and you know, and you probably had this happen maybe in the military when you had a confrontation with somebody, it kind of takes that and, but maybe it takes your um, respect for each other to a different level where it could go the other way. You know, I think we both could have left that wreck and said, all right, we're going to hate each the other. The blame game. Yeah, we're going to hate each other forever and blah, blah, blah. But I think we both learned from that and said, hey, man, you're pretty good. I respect you. You you know, respect me now, and let's let's get after it and, and do put on a good show for the fans. In, in the military, we, we do something very similar. If you have beef with someone, regardless of their rank, is you take your blouse off, uh, which is yeah. the top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we call it a blouse, but it's what has your rank on it, right? Yeah. And you go out to what's called the tree line, and and you fight. You you literally you literally fight, and until one of you taps out. And the reason why you take the blouse off, which has your rank on it, is it's an equalizer. if you punch or assault someone that's senior ranked than you, there's charges that can be brought up against you, and if you go to the brig, you get kicked out of the military for it, but. Just like with racing, you're not going to get along with everyone. And sometimes you need to have that scrap to be like, all right, I respect you. You respect me. But the worst that's going to happen in racing for, for you is you, you might lose your career because people lose respect that they don't want to hire you. I'm not saying that's not, not a bad thing. But, you know, this could be the entire end of your career. And a lot of these guys aren't coming from a whole lot in the military. So you take the rake off. And you go out and you fight, and then it's over. And honest to God, man, I've seen some great friendships come out after that. Because like you said, it's that respect that you have for each other. Where it's, listen, I know this guy is not afraid to throw down. And I know how good he is. He knows how good I am. And then you just move on from right there. And if you still have beef after that, then you, then you guys have other deeper issues that you guys need right. to go after. But yeah. as far as I'm concerned, you take care of it then. Okay, it's done. Okay, we move on from it. Yeah, that's totally, you know, that's my take on it. And I think Andrew um, would probably say the same thing. Yeah, Andrew's a good kid, man. He he showed me a video of it. He's got respect for, you know, obviously, like you said, you know, racing hard, especially it's for the lead, right? Yeah, um, right. It probably cost uh, me the championship. <laughs> when I go back oh, and look at it, because my engineer is like, you know, we could have finished second that day and we'd have been okay. And I was like, well, I, wa- I wanted to win. That's what I came here to do. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky Bobby second yeah. the first loser, right? Yeah, I know. And I was <laughs> leading. I was leading the race. Yeah. <laughs> like, Listen, we could all say that, right? Yeah. Hindsight twenty twenty. Sure, that's but, right. 
Yeah. The competitor in us is, well, I'm not going to give you position, especially for the win. Yeah. Yeah. But, but let's, we could change that up a little bit. Maybe if you win that race at Lime Rock, what's to say you don't go wreck somewhere else or something happens where you end up not winning the championship, even if you won that race? You know, this, like I said, hindsight 2020, everybody goes for the win. Nobody's going to say, well, you know what? I'm just going to go for second place. That's going to no. be plenty good enough yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to run every race just based mathematically off of, uh, you know, a point strategy. Nobody does that. No. I mean, not. I, say, I guess maybe not so super late in the season where you're saying, okay, you know what? We come out of here with the sixth. We're really solid. But if we have a a 10th place car, we're not fighting for a fourth or fifth. We got a 10th place car, and if we can get – Better than the tenth grade, but we're not going to sit here and be stupid to try to get a fourth or fifth when the car's just not capable of doing it. Especially when you're in the championship, you don't drive stupid. You still try to drive at that point in the season points to win the championship. You know, big gold versus pocket change, right? Yeah, for sure. Battle versus the war. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Liam, I mean, you you run those years with with Andrew Carbonell you know, had the surgeries. I mean, what's, what's the next thing kind of coming up driving wise? I mean, where are people going to see you, you know, next pop up? So that's what I'm trying to figure out right now is I'm sure you heard the news in the last week or two that the Mazda, Mazda has pulled the plug on the TCR program. Yeah, I, I was, I, I mean, I knew that probably affected you. So I didn't really, I wasn't sure if I wanted to bring that up or not because I don't like going on a downer. Yeah. Oh, no, man. no, man. I mean, let's be honest. The facts are facts. It's the plug got pulled. There's something you or I could do about that. So that kind of leaves me in limbo where I was actually going into this season, 2020. I found out 2020, actually December 2019, that Mazda was not going to have me part of their program for this year. So kind of put me in a little bit of a lurch because it was so late in the year or really all the seats had been taken up. Yeah. So I was at Daytona this year, and I don't know if I bumped into you or not, but I was going around. I was pounding the pavement, looking for rides, looking for rides, but all the rides really had been taken off. And so I was looking around for for cars that I could drive, rides that I could get into, and ended up coming up short. But almost, you know, on the good side of it is I wrecked my knee like six weeks later. So even if I got something, now I'm going to have to call up and say, listen, I, I can't do this. and I'm done. Yeah. Right. So where this leaves me for the future, I really don't know because um, the financial situation with many teams, obviously the economy is much different than it was and we've ever seen before where I don't know how many teams are going to be, willing to open up their doors and spend this money to go racing because oh let's be frank and honest about the racing that me you and i do is a lot of this is expendable income on someone else's part we're not getting the sponsors of lowe's home depot mm-hmm. credit mm-hmm. one people that are willing to shell out eight figures you know if we could get someone that's willing to shell out six figures that's like a huge deal for us so if teams start folding up, that's less and less opportunities for us because, you know, maybe there is that guy that's saying, you know what, I'm plenty fast. I'm young. I just want to make a name. I will take that ride for free. 
versus someone that that's you that's a little bit older where you're trying to put food on the t- table for your kids you can't say listen i'll take a ride for free you're saying listen i gotta get paid for doing this yeah. but you got someone else over here that's willing to race for free it kind of puts you out of job so i don't know for 2021 what's going to happen um i'm hoping the field sizes are able to stay to stay as large as they are but I was frankly surprised to see the size of the field at Daytona this year. And I'm hoping it could stay that way, but I'd be surprised if it does. Yeah, it'll be interesting, Liam. I mean, obviously, it, you know, Ted with um, TGM that we obviously we're not done. We're just preparing for 21 because we looked at it as I just wonder how this is going to affect teams that the season ends in November 15th, like mid-November at Sebring. And Daytona's right around the corner from there and how this is going to be a ripple effect into 21, the teams that decide to go on with 20 and, and what that's going to look like. Yeah. And as I would say probably around this month or next month, September, the rides for next year are pretty much already wrapped up. Yeah. Or it could be so, later though, this year though, because the way the season, the, way the, the season's going though, it is exactly. so late. Yeah. So, who knows what seats are going to be available? I mean, you end November 15th, and then the roar is, what, January 6th or 7th yeah. or something? So you have seven, maybe eight weeks in between. You don't have the three, three and a half months that we had before. So things are going to happen quick because a lot of teams have already closed up shop for the year. Who is willing to reopen? And, you know, if we're still in the same situation that we are right now and i don't think we're going to see really have any idea of a change until after the election you know we really could be in a bind where no one knows what's going on for next year where you know who knows maybe daytona does come around we are able to hold it in person but the the uh the mission field is the way size of the field that it was in 20 16 where there were what uh four five gs cars all season long yeah, where it was really slim, but now look, yeah. you know, it's grown yeah. to pretty much 30, no, 30, cars 30 cars before this. Now it's it's backed off a little bit since then, but with COVID, but it, it was definitely hey, I'm strong. Hoping, I'm hoping that it's able to come back where we could get back out going to do fun things and going to sporting activities yeah. and um, just have some sense of normalcy. I mean, yeah, how old are your boys now? They're uh, 8 and 11. Oh my God. I know. I know my 11 year old, he weighs, he's over a hundred pounds and he comes up to my shoulder now. So, and he's bugging me to, he's bugging me to race. So, and he's done some racing, but yeah, no, they're, I've never pushed them towards either one of them, you know, want to do this and, and Brant, my oldest, he did a, he did two cart races two years ago. And then we've, um, then the bug kind of went away a little bit because of my, you know, I'll feed that when it kind of comes around, but I'm not going to force, you know, anything down his throat. You know, baseball is really his thing or golf, but he, he's, he's got the bug again. And, um, and so we're going to do a test, you know, sometime in the fall again, back on the cart, just to spend more time. I just told him like, look, I kind of threw you to the wolves a little bit into a situation that was probably not great, but you wanted to go do it. So I'll let you go do it. But we're going to, if you really want to do this, we got to do it the right way. And um, so we'll see what happens, but they still love coming to the races and, you know, being a part of it, you know, in that aspect of it, which is really cool. And when you said you were kind of pounding the ground at Daytona, was it the TCR cars that have got your interest a little bit? I haven't driven one yet, 
you know, since the TCR platforms come into to the pilot series, is that sort of the car that's got your eye to you? Well, I was originally staying with TCR, you know, thinking about Mazda TCR, yeah. you know, if I could get some seat time in the one, obviously it'd be a direct correlation. But GS is really is really what I was kind of hoping to get into, but the budgets are so massive for GT4. I didn't realize how huge they were. Yeah. Where you could take a same budget for a GS car and pretty much go run almost a full season of Sprint X. So it's not direct apples to apples, and it's not the exact same budget, but you can get a lot of races in Sprint X that you can't for a yearly budget for a GS car. But there is a much larger fan draw to an IMSA race just due to the drives of cars that, that come in there. Yeah. If, I like the idea of rear-wheel drive. That's just, that's just me. I'm not knocking front-wheel drive. I've done front wheel. I've done all wheel. I just like rear wheel drive. I think there's, um, I guess there's a little bit more talent that comes with it where there's maybe a little bit more throttle application that you have to be aware of. I, I'm not sure. Um, but with the GS cars, the cars are what, 450 horsepower, 400 horsepower? Yeah, somewhere in there. So, I mean, that's, that's quite a bit of power to deal with. You know, when you're when you're trying to get it down onto the ground there, when when you're dealing excuse me, with, with tires are going away, different surfaces, especially when it starts getting starts getting wet out. You know, the the Miata we had 230 horsepower. I can remember, you know, some of the standing water with that. That thing would get pretty loose on your right quick. I can't imagine what 400, 450 horsepower would do. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that's just exciting and fun. That's so that's why I would like to go a rural drive. And I also think there's less downforce in a gt car than a tcr car if i'm not mistaken there is yeah a gt4 car i mean at least the mercedes last year our camaro now has got some pretty good downforce on it but it's definitely probably still less than some of those tcr cars are producing i always like racing and i'll say this from here and from on out if you want great racing take away aero and add a shit ton of power and you're gonna have good <laughs> racing I've said, and I would keep saying it's my dying day. Get get rid of, get rid of this aero stuff and add in, you know, make these cars 800, 900,000 horsepower. Just go, just go run them. Have fun with them. Yeah. I mean, I've always, you know, when you kind of, I mean, SD class didn't have, you know, 400 horsepower, 500, but it had no aero. And so when the TCR class was going to come on board, it's like, I looked at it and said, and you know, some of the battles that we had in, in ST, I mean, with Eric Foss and Carbonell and Pompelli was in there. And, you know, that last kind of full year of ST, man, it was just like, it was on fire. I mean, you'd have seven car trained battling for the lead. And um, you just don't get that, you know, with the arrow that goes on. And, I mean, you're seeing it even the stock car stuff now, yeah. too. It's just too hard to pass. Yeah. And it's, I, I say ST is, in my opinion, like the last true racing class is safe for club racing the last true pro class of racing um that the states will see i know uh sro does a um a tc or tca class yeah they do something That's, yeah yeah but, but it's not but as it, fast i mean think about uh, the horsepower we, i mean we were doing decent lap times where we would go and not have the downforce yeah i mean we're doing 
204s at VIR. I mean, that's screaming around VIR when you're having dealing with less than 300 horsepower. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely screaming. If you're, if you're able to do a 204 around there in any car, you're flying more or less than 300 horsepower doing that with zero arrow. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're wheeling the shit out of those cars. It was fun sliding those things around. I loved it. It was awesome. Well, then the, the other- then the driver makes the difference, right? Isn't that, I mean, I mean, you know, setup, of course, is always yeah. going to be important. But let's assume that, you know, if everybody's got the same knowledge and the same tech skills, then it really comes down to driver skill. Yeah, it purely comes down to driver, which is where racing, for the most part, should come should come down to, in my opinion, where you see a lot of it in NASCAR, where you'll have three teams that win the races every weekend, mm-hmm. except for, say, one weekend, you might get, like, an RCR or some off the cusp team that for whatever wins it, but it's usually a JGR Penske or a Stuart Haas that, that won a race. Right. And you see it in Formula one, especially right now. It's like yeah. a Mercedes show. Yeah, where it's, it's a Hamilton show. Yeah. All the time. It's boring. Right. Yep. I mean, I don't turn on a race to watch the leader win by a full lap because <laughs> yeah. he's got the best equipment. I, I want to see, Cars that are relatively equal out there being able to be somewhat in the same lap time. I mean, Hamilton, I don't watch the race this weekend, but the race prior at Silverstone, the um, the Mercedes, they were like one and a half seconds a lap faster than the rest of the field. It's like, are you kidding me? One and a half seconds? Yeah, I think I watched the race this weekend, and I think uh, I think he was 28 seconds. He won by 28 seconds. Yeah, it's not that's, close. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, that's not, that's boring. Yeah, that's boring. boring. Yeah, I didn't watch it this weekend, so I I did, but it was boring. Yeah. <laughs> but you like going out there. You like seeing guys with their skills drive whatever cars they may be. And I think one of the last one of the things that made our class so great was you'd have a train of cars, but it would be a Civic in Ultima, a Porsche Cayman in MX-5. Um, I don't know. I don't remember all the other cars that were there, but you didn't have all the same car up front all the time. It was a slew of cars that would be battling it out with, like I said, you, a Pompelli, a Foss, an Eversley, Carbonell. I mean, Liam, I guess maybe a hard question and you can answer this how you want to i mean i i thought john dunan's a great guy and i've actually talked to him you know now in his role at imsa i mean does your gut say that if john was still there and this is not me knocking anybody at mazda but you think the tcr program would still be going it seemed like john is such a grassroots racer because he's a racer first and when you talk to john that's the kind of mentality he brings now to imsa uh, and somewhat in that role as being president. And, I mean, do you think if he would still be in that position that the TCR program might continue on? Or I'm not sure of, of the answer for that. And actually, my answer is I'm not sure. Because yeah. John had a huge, huge passion for this. So I think there'd be a, a better chance it might be going on. So I don't know. I, I couldn't give you a definitive answer and i'm not trying to play pc play both sides you know watch my tail here i just don't know the right answer for that question. no and i i wouldn't think you would so but i mean i 
I just, you know, wanted your opinion on that because I feel like John would maybe somehow make this work because the TCR program, the longevity would probably be good for Mazda, just like the MX-5 was in yeah. ST class. I mean, um, and how Mazda is in just the grassroots motorsports when you talk about 51% of the field yeah. across the board that they have. So yeah, could you have added to that with a, with a TCR program? Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot to series. develop it, but right. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you're going to have your, your growing pains with, with the new program, yeah. but I can't tell you how many people came up to us, whether it was in the paddock, um, in the garages around the grid saying, Oh, you know, I have, an 89 Miata. I have a 2006 Miata, whatever it may be. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing I could be wrong here, but not many people are going up to the Mazda prototype saying, I have a Mazda prototype <laughs> yeah. in my garage. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I think you get to a different level of having a different fan interaction of a want to root because when you could sit here and recognize the car be like i have one of those i yeah have one of those is my street car i have one of those is my club car I mean, how many people learn of the the civic si or the the mx5 or whatever else car it is saying oh wow that car could be driven on tractor they're actually pretty good because a lot of people don't think of you know 200 horsepower cars as being fun track cars, right? Because yeah. oh, they're so slow. You know, I gotta have my Mustang or BMW. It's like, well, you can have a ton of fun with these. I promise you, when you get good at them, I guarantee you're gonna have more fun driving this than you are pretty much every other high horsepower car that's out there. There's something about just bringing every single little thing out of a low horsepower car, but having it punish you greatly because you scrub too much speed where do that with a high horsepower car, you just step on the gas and you make up for it. So, yeah, I, I wish they were able to st stick with the TCR program. I think there would have been a lot of grassroots to love for it. I think a lot of people would have gone out and bought one because they'd see it on track. And also, Mazda would develop parts for it that people would want to buy to make their Mazda car faster or who knows, maybe even look like the TCR car. But I think there was a lot further, a lot more that would have come out of that than the Mazda prototype. Well, on the aftermarket would have, I mean, you would have to assume much the same with Miata that, uh, you know, if there was interest behind it, the aftermarket would pick up and carry that as well. Well, Liam, I, I'm super happy you joined us today. <laughs> Me too. Dude. And, and we got you out of uh, a lot of work <laughs> probably right yeah. now. And, um, man, good, good to chat with you. And, Hopefully I'll see you, you know, real soon. I was going to say, we need to get together at a racetrack somewhere, figure out. Hey, I would love to. I'm physically capable of being, I'm physically capable to drive again. It's just, like I said, you know, finding that, that right spot for it. You know, listen, I'm a free agent now. I can go race anywhere. You know, I, I love racing. I appreciate you guys having me on here. And hopefully soon enough tracks will be opened up to spectators where I could come down and See you guys. We can laugh and have some beers together. That's yeah, right. That's man. Uh, that's what it, I'm looking forward to. That. Um, thanks for being on the show, and thank you for your service and your sacrifice. And great, what a great story, great conversation. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me on here. Like I said, it's been a pleasure. I'll be sure to listen to you guys, and hopefully, see you guys in the future. Thanks, man. Have a great rest of the day. Enjoy the house. Thanks, guys. Bye bye.
All right, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, Sergeant Liam Dwyer this week. Um, hopefully get the, the car back. I, we need to figure out a way. We need to help him out with that. Well, I was asking, yeah, just because there's some cars out there my dad used to have that I'd love to have. That's like, I, I mean, if somebody out there is listening and says, hey, this is the roadmap of yeah. finding old your cars that you used to own. Yeah, hit us up on hit that. Hit us up because I would be totally on it because there's some stuff out there I'd love to try to go back and find. And obviously Liam's looking yeah. for the same thing. The, uh, another Mustang. Which yeah. we, Mustang. We've had some Mustangs that have <laughs> had some, well, a rental car Mustang that had some significance yeah, in this podcast. Exactly. Which I think he was out over the weekend enjoying that. Uh, did you see his Instagram? Yeah, I did. I saw he was out doing something. Yeah, He had, a, he had the uh, Driving Life t-shirt on. Oh, did he have it on? I didn't yeah. see that. He was oh, at I, a lemonade stand. Oh, was he? Okay, I saw the lemonade stand, and I just maybe well, maybe I scanned through it too quick. I, I was at Laguna, so I didn't. Yeah. Um, he was, uh, you know, sporting the swag. Yeah. That's cool, man. <laughs> yeah. Because, you guys, you can get swag um, on our website, I guess, right? Is that where they're? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, drivinglife.com. So check that out. Get some swag because Fred Ashmore's out there. Yeah. Wearing it. Was wearing, awesome. wearing it. Yeah. So. Yeah. My wife brought it over to me. I was, uh, I was working in the house, you know, doing whatever. And she's like, check this out. I was like, that's Fred. He's like, it's one of my favorites. That's awesome. Sweet. It's a good t-shirt. Yeah. Um, so good stuff. So good weekend. Did you, uh, get the Corvette out doing a little driving or did you just, uh, no, I did not. I don't, no, I think last Saturday was the last time I had it out. Okay, um, gonna get out tomorrow. We'll talk about that. But uh, no, I just I stayed close to home. So we're remodeling our kitchen and doing some stuff. So I was in there all weekend, which means I had the TV on and was watching, you know, a little bit of racing. Caught yeah. some, caught a little bit of the Formula One race, if you want to call, call that. I mean, what Hamilton won by twenty eight seconds or something like that. So. Wasn't much going on there. Um, and I did catch the Daytona. I recorded it, so I watched Daytona, yeah. uh, NASCAR at, at Daytona on the infield, which was kind of cool seeing those cars on that. On the Although road course. They put, a, they put a chicane in the, yeah. in the on the front stretch, which was a little bizarre. Well, I think they did it, one, because, I mean, the cup cars have got 750 horsepower. Yeah. I think they were going to have an issue slowing down. Braking. The <laughs> I think they're going to burn the brakes off the things if they – came into turn one that we normally use. Yeah. Um, because let's be honest, they're not, I mean, they're really not designed. I mean, they do the best they can on the road courses, but, and they have specialty brakes and all this stuff, but they're, they're a heavy car. Yeah. Well, and, and I kind of figured because you're, you're building up a pretty good head of steam come barreling down into there. I mean, we're doing 175, 180. We're coming down there. And so they've got a little bit more power than we do. So they'd be, I mean, unrestricted. It'd be 190. Yeah. Close to 200, probably trying to slow down. Yeah, bringing it down into a <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically a 180. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I thought it was pretty interesting. I got to see most of the cup race that Chase Elliott won. I got to see a little bit of the Xfinity, not a lot. Um, but I did see, I don't know if it was a restart or the initial start, like all the cars like went off the track. Yeah, that was so. I think that was a restart. I did see that because they showed that uh, toward the end of the NASCAR yeah. race. Um, I mean the cup race and they, they showed that it was like, I don't know. It was almost like a gag reel or something where yeah. somebody just got on the brakes or got squirrely and it just munched the rest of the field. They were sliding through the grass backwards and yeah, you know, into the fence or whatever. But yeah. So excuse me. I didn't, I didn't catch any of the Xfinity race. 
But I did, you know, Truex had, I think in the cup race, Truex had him covered. And then a little, you know, speeding penalty there on pit road. Got him. Oops. On the exit there. And yeah, um, yeah, I think he had definitely had the car to win. And um, I mean, Elliot's been kind of his competitor a little bit at Watkins Glen. That's, this is the race that that replaced was Watkins Glen. And uh, Elliot's obviously been fast at Watkins Glen. And, and it's been between Truex and him. I'd like to see that at the end. If those two, um, I know there's a late race restart, but I think if it could have worked out where, they were racing each other the whole race, how that would have gone, because I think it had been a really good battle. Yeah, I think end. so, too. I think, I mean, it's hard to say until you get them, you know, nose to tail. Yeah. But, I mean, I think Truex had a faster. I, it looked like it anyway. It just seemed like he was able to to just drive away from whatever. Well, and, and I guess Chase did, too. He was up by eight seconds. Yeah, he was. That's what I mean. The two of them seemed to be the yeah. top of the field if we could have got those two together. And I know they had a three-lap shootout, but not yeah. – I didn't see, I don't know how the pit strategy went or if Truex was still driving through the field and used some of his car up to get there to that point because he was still behind. Oh, yeah. When I, because I was actually landing yesterday when I, um, I didn't see the end and I was like, oh, there's like seven laps to go. And I'm like, oh, he's got this in the bag. And I had to get off the airplane. So I, you know, didn't see it. I'm like, well, if the caution doesn't come out, he's fine. I guess one did come out. Yeah. But Truex was like 14th, I think, or 10th or something. He wasn't close. Yeah. He started back and then they got kind of, you know, everybody was kind of like the Xfinity race, going for it. Yeah. Um, and they all stayed on track, everybody, but he got shuffled back a little bit and then ended up, he wound up third. You know, Hamlin made tried to make a, a go of it right there in the, coming off the last turn, but I don't I don't think, it's one thing to get to somebody's bumper, it's another thing to get past them. Yeah, no, true. Know? And when you so, lot of your stuff up at that point. But they were saying, I mean, it, I mean, or excuse me, for um, Elliot, this I mean, this is third road course victory in a row. So at, I mean, not Sonoma. I don't think he's won there, but he's won Watkins Glen. It was his first cup win. And then he won at the roll. Or no, no, he didn't either win. No, he didn't win. They were talking about that. Yeah. Came close. That last restart, he piled, drove it right into the, in the fence there. Barriers. Yeah. Um, But he's been really competitive on the road courses and stuff. So, I mean, that's good to see. And, um, I mean, I thought it was a great weekend, you know, really cool. I, I think is, I mean, I'm for whatever helps the sport, but I think it helps the sports car side for the NASCAR fan. Maybe they haven't tuned into one of our races, but now they see the road course there. Yeah. And so, because a lot of people talk to, oh, well, we run Daytona. Oh, what do you run there? It's like, well, we run 90% of the oval. But now it's like, uh, okay, now you get some bigger, you know, broader audience yeah. on the road course. So maybe that helps IMSA because they are owned by NASCAR and just, in general for when the fans are allowed to come back like oh we're going to go check that race out and yeah. um i would have actually liked to have been there to see that race because you know this was my first year with at daytona with imsa so seeing them yeah you know your car on the track and then going i think would have been cool yeah i, I, I would have probably you know if nothing else was going on i may have just gone down for the day and and checked it out. Checked it out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and drove back, knowing you, yeah. You do it yeah. like... It's 10 hours. I'll yeah, be back I'll be later down, on. <laughs> watch your race, and I'll turn around and drive back. Yeah. yeah nothing no, wrong with no that. No problem at all. So, so. and I'm going to throw something at you here, because I, I've been seeing this, and you're probably not ready for this. Um, we are not out here predicting news. I just got a gut feeling. Stuart Haas is getting ready to hire Carl Larson. And, oh, I think so. And I think Boyer is – maybe we've talked about this already, maybe, off air. But I think Boyer is um, 
think he's gone. I think yeah. he's retiring after this year. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, they've been it's kind of been in the rumor mill for for quite a while. And you know, I mean, the whole Larson thing. I mean, gosh, there's just, there's no way to get around how you know that situation, yeah. and you know, you can't deny it. You can't make up for it. Whatever, but does it? Does it have to be career ending? I mean, the guy's fast. I mean, look what he's doing. He's setting all kinds of record now, you know, on dirt. And I mean, let's Tony's 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 fun. not averse to uh, you know publicity and no taking and, a chance like that. No, and I think that Tony's helping out some of that program. You know, kind of what I'm hearing, and I just feel like that it hasn't come out too much, but I think it's enough. It's getting enough traction now yeah. um, that I think if they bring it out. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a PR person, so I don't know. They bring it out sooner or later. I mean, what do they do here? Just, you know, here in the next few weeks, say, hey, this is what's coming down and let the sort of the, let it. Well, you, wouldn't you do it like, like they do for any other news that you do it at five o'clock on a Friday when nobody's paying any attention? Well, yeah, just say, hey, well, I mean, that's when do you, Daytona's in February for them to start. Do you announce it now and just let it get out there? Yeah, run its course. And then get down when, when February, it may come up a little bit in February, but it may be kind of old. Well, news. And we're already in the silly season. I mean, they've already, yeah. you know, Eric Jones isn't coming back to JGR. Yeah. And you know, so there's some of those changes. The silly season stuff is already happening. And especially with the way the schedule is for NASCAR this year. I, I don't, you know, I don't know typically what would happen in that situation, but yeah, I, I see an announcement. I mean, I've, I, you see it here and there and you hear little rumblings about it, but I think it's building up some steam now. I, I'm, I would be surprised if it didn't happen. We'll put it yeah. that way. And I think Ford, I mean, Ford let, if you go back a long time ago, because Larson's a good, he's a good shoe. Just think yeah. of him as a driver. And Jeff Gordon was in their fold at one time, because remember when he ran the Bush series, he was in a Ford. Yep. And Ford let that one get away. And Larson was in a Chevrolet. And I think you look at some of the Ford drivers. They're not the youngest spring chickens right? out there. I mean, Harvick's tearing it up, but yeah, he's old as I am. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Larson's still pretty young, so I, I feel like Ford's going to get, you know. Well, it was everybody always in it thought, what could he do in good stuff, better equipment? Yeah. Not saying know. Ganassi's bad, but Ganassi, no, 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 no. IndyCar's AA plus whatever. Right. right. Cup, eh, B minus maybe, something like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's got good equipment. Don't get me wrong, but it's they're not they're not Hendrick, uh, you know, JGR. They're not on the front step of winning races every no. weekend. No, you know, Kurt Busch is no, oh, that's RCR. Never mind. No, Kurt Busch is uh, he's he's Ganassi. Yeah, it's, so I mean, yeah, Kurt. I mean, Kurt's running okay. That, yeah, I mean, so he's bringing the program along, but yeah, I don't know. I just it, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. So he, he might have more time on to have a beer with you then. Heard it I, here first. Boy, I know. Yeah, then totally. that, that might work out okay then. I got to reach out. Yeah, and say, hey, when you're done next year. Get him on the podcast. Okay, that's right. Season's <laughs> over. over. Yeah. Yeah. Can't come to Nashville and drink, but you, <laughs> <laughs> or you could. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Um, Just come hang out with us. Yeah. And then we had Indy 500 pole qualifying. I didn't get to catch it. Going back, Indy. For me, when Newman Haas was big, when uh, Mario and, well, for a while, it was Mario and Nigel Mansell 
were running together. Yeah. And then it was the three of them. It was Mario, Michael, and Nigel. I think they did that for one year maybe. Um, so I've always been kind of an Andretti fan. Michael Andretti was, you know, one of one of the guys we always used to pull for when we were kids. But Marco is, I guess I wasn't, I wasn't into IndyCar that much when, you know, he was kind of coming up through and, so I didn't really pay much attention to his career. Um, I know he's come close a couple of times at Indy and like everything else, you know, the Andretti curse, curse if you yeah. will. Um, so it was kind of cool to see him, you know, get to pole. He hasn't had the greatest year. He's kind of been all over the place, uh, you know, kind of contends there a little bit and then he'll just fall off the face of the earth and do nothing. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage the 500. Their cars are always fast. They just don't yeah. seem to finish. Obviously, I'm going to park and watch that one. That's always one, even though it's in August now. It's still. Um, so I told my wife, I said, oh, I got to catch the Indy, you know, qualifying for the Indy 500. She's like, I know. Wait a minute. Completely thrown off. Yeah. Like, she's like, it's not doesn't May. that usually happen? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, mm, yeah, but remember nothing happened in May. So yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be fun to watch. I'll watch. I'll, I'll do the same thing. Yeah. I'll watch it. Yeah. I'm definitely going to. Obviously, Emps is headed to VIR this weekend, which is, I mean, if there's one event. That's I was just like you've been to VIR with me and yeah, um, I mean I'm completely 110 percent behind what we're doing, but this weekend might That's get the one me, you want. Yeah. It gets me probably a little bit more than the other ones. The other ones I'm okay, you know, I've been out doing other stuff, but this weekend, you know, it just it's home a little bit because you know it's like family over there to me and yeah, the Smiths and you know Connie and just everybody there. That uh, that we're not going to make it over there, but hopefully everybody has a good run, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk be, about we'll, that next. They'll week be there, too. won't they? Oh, they're there. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah, they're there. They're, I'm sure they're there. I'm just, Alex is probably already there, probably, and uh, going to watch the circus move in. There's going to be no <laughs> yeah. fan, no fans there this year, but uh, the race is definitely going to happen. And I think Alex can go. He just can't go down the paddock, so because he's yeah, he he's, a, he's, a, he's a, there. Yeah, he's a villa owner, yeah. so he can still kind of watch from a distance. And uh, and catch some good racing going on, but which by the way, I don't know if I told you I finished the book. Oh, you did. Yeah. How was it? It's good. Yeah, it's a it's a fun you know little read. Uh, and the thing I liked about it was it's it kind of hits home for me because I'm a relationship guy. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of my sales training is about the relationships, and so it's it was fun to read. But um, to, for for him to be in one place for 40 plus years or whatever is just amazing yeah. and the story the book is good it's really really fun to read it was great to and i don't know him other than you know yeah the, so i felt like i did and then reading the book i felt like i knew him even better after that so it was really cool well i look forward to getting it back from you and it'll it may take me a year to get through it but maybe <laughs> I can do six months, maybe. I can try yeah. to make that I happen. I dog-eared some of the good stuff. So. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll go read that first, and, yeah. then, and then that'll be good. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of it, guys, uh, for this week. And not sure who we're having on next week, but we'll, we'll get all we'll that. We'll figure it out. We'll figure that out, and we'll keep going with the flow. If you guys got any suggestions, shoot it to us. And uh, hope everybody has a good rest of the week. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe, like us, share it. Um, because we just we love we love what we're doing and, and want to keep doing more of it. So um, look forward to talking to you guys next week. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the Indy 500, all the racing that's going on this weekend, or just get out there and enjoy your car. And no matter what it is, Porsche, 
you know, Corvette, Corvette anything. <laughs> and uh, just go have some fun and in a safe manner. And uh, look forward to talking to you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>